0: Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman.
1: Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm really excited to be talking to Sarah Baldwin today. Sarah is the Executive Director of Storyhouse Ministries in Fort Wayne, Indiana. She is a licensed mental health counselor. She's also married to her husband, Jonathan, who is a youth pastor of 14 years. And she's got four kids, a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 6-year-old, 1-year-old, Three boys and a girl, Sarah. You've got a lot on your plate these days.
0: I do. I stay busy and and don't always sleep as much as I should, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, that's
1: that's part of the challenge of, of of having a home and having a practice that that you're running.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely, and I just appreciate you having me on today. That's very kind of you. I'm excited to to talk with you and share a little bit about Storyhouse and what we do and what we feel called to.
1: So, Sarah, tell me the story. Like, what's what's the kind of the origin of Storyhouse? How how did it come to be?
0: Yeah, It's such a big question, and it's funny because it's like I almost hate it, and yet I do that every day in my office. If people like tell me your story, you know, and so it's just hard to know the right place to start. Um, I think when I'm thinking through it, probably it would be um, my husband is in ministry, and we have moved around. I think a lot of people in ministry can relate to that, and. When we moved back to the Fort Wayne area, we're located in Leo, which is this small town close to Fort Wayne. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue practicing counseling or if I wanted to, it's hard to get restarted. And our church reached out to me and said, Hey, would you be willing to use this office that we have? There's a big mental health need. And so I was like, okay, God, I see that open door and started to walk through it. And my husband and I got everything ready and set up for story house just wanted a place where people felt safe, that they could tell their story, that they could heal, and they could transform into a life of freedom. And like, that was what we wanted to go for and was all excited, got everything set up February, 2020. And then that next month, the world changed. It just changed. And we were in lockdown and we're trying to figure out just like everybody else was like, what's going on um, and the mental health need here. I've, I've seen a lot of people, especially in our, our Christian community, start leaning into mental health care and realizing that, yes, anxiety can go along with our faith, but it doesn't mean that you are a bad person or that there's something wrong with you if you're experiencing anxiety and that you can get help through a counselor that you trust, who's going to keep you in line with those values of our faith. And so we really saw people start to flood that way. And so quickly, we added two more churches that we had offices at. We had two other therapists on the team and it really grew beyond what we expected. And I, I think part of it was that style of story houses is that we want it to be a safe place for the first time somebody would experience counseling. So it is not a real clinical environment. It's very warm and friendly and people feel like, okay, I thought this was going to be such a big deal and so scary. And then, and then it's not. And so that's kind of how we want it to be for people. And we saw that start to grow. And then at the end of 2021, it started to shift and we're like, we knew we were outgrowing the church spaces and we needed to think about a new strategy. And I didn't know how to move forward. I was pretty stressed about it, to be honest with you. And um, I had just brought home our daughter. and so. I'm, you know, up late at night with her praying and rocking and just saying, God, like, what, what do we do next? And I felt him whisper nonprofit. And because the practice I had started up was a business. And so I was like, a nonprofit? Are you kidding me? God? Like, I've been in the ministry world long enough. I've done nonprofit work long enough. I'm like, it is so much work. And it felt almost cruel to me. I was like, God, why would you why would you have me do this when I have this little one and the others and there's so much going on. And I felt like he just said, Sarah, like, I want to help you. Like, this is Mm -hmm. the help that you've been asking for and this is how we're going to make it happen. And I talked to my husband, thankfully, he is always so receptive to where he feels like God's leading me and in the ministry. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And I remember I was reading my devotions one morning before we finally pulled the plug. And I was like, okay, God, like, I really need to hear from you. You know, when you like know that God's called you to something, but then you're just like waiting for that last little like nudge in the right direction. Um, That was kind of what it was. And um, it was Isaiah 41, 8, 9 through 10. And in that scripture, he says, I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I just felt this peace wash over me of like, yeah, this is what we need to do. Um, So that was February of 2020 two. Yes. And then fast forward, like our community raised $15,000 just to get uh, office opened up. They raised it in three days. Like it was wow. incredible. they were just like, we want this. We want, a, you know, mental health resources that have a Christian focus in our community. And they raised it and were able to put the office together. And then this morning, I just signed the lease to expand for four more offices. Cause we've already outgrew that space that we just signed for six months ago. And so, and we're just watching God fling these doors open. The director from Huntington university that trained me reached out to me one day in September and said, God's been putting story house in my heart. And I just feel like I need to join and help train other counselors. And I want to bring some with me who want to do the work that you're doing and have that faith-based approach. And so he doubled my practice in a phone call and brought these counselors. And so it's been a ride. And I tell people, It's like catching a wave and my job is to stay balanced on Jesus and he's going to take it where he wants. And I'm going to try my hardest to enjoy the wave and not get freaked out or not look down a whole lot, but just trying to enjoy it. And that's kind of right now a battle for me every day of trusting God and continuing to walk forward and what he has for us. And so it's a big story and it's hard to like, I'm trying so hard to like, convince it for you, but that's where we're at right
1: now story house. Sarah, you talked about how part of your desire and dream was to connect with people who had maybe not taken advantage of formal counseling or therapy resources before. What are some of the misconceptions people have about engaging a therapist for the first time that might cause some unnecessary hurdles for them to get help that they might really benefit from?
0: I think there's so many different thing, different barriers that keep people out of professional counseling I know that there were barriers for me like man I was training to be a counselor and I thought oh I want to be the helper right but but through that process just really realized that we all sit in the seat of the helper and the one that needs help and so that really broke down my pride to say I need this too. And I, I always joke about this, but when I go to my own counselor, I text my husband in the parking lot and I'm like, I do not want to do this. Like, I do not want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to go there. It's just so much easier to avoid. And we have so many things in our world to distract us or numb us or keep us moving that we don't have to pause and think about our story and what God's doing in it. And so I think that was a big barrier for me of just not wanting to deal with certain things. I think that other people, it may be that, I don't know if I can trust a counselor. I don't know if they align with my values and what if they lead me astray. I have people who would tell me horror stories of maybe counselors that they experienced in the past. And I would just tell people that the field has changed a lot. And since, because I had somebody tell me a story of like 20 years ago where a counselor led somebody down a path and. Um, I just feel like we are trained a lot differently now. I also think that people can look for a faith-based counseling practice that they trust and get referrals from other people who are in counseling. And I tell people they should be selfish with the counselor that they pick. Like this is your money and this is your time and this is your story and it's important. And if the counselor is not the right fit, it's not about their feelings. it's about what you need. And so you get to be really selfish in that. And so I I just think it's, I think my, my main answer to that is it's really scary. It's really, really scary to go in the first time and meet a stranger and think that you're going to have to tell them everything. Uh, We don't make people tell us everything. We let them tell us as they feel comfortable and safe. And I think that's really important. And most counselors that I know are the same way. They, They allow the client to lead in certain ways and let them divulge what they want to as they go along.
1: Sarah, you talked about getting counseling for yourself. How personally for you, how do you know when a therapist is a fit for you, or maybe it's time to pivot in another direction? Or or maybe how do you know if somebody has been good for you for a season, but it might be time for you to to change gears down the road? What's that been like for you personally?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think that the first thing is safety and, and safety in a lot of ways of do you feel comfortable telling them the whole authentic story? not just your cover story. I think a lot of us work really hard on what our cover story is and don't have the courage sometimes or or feel like we can move into the authentic story. So if you feel like you're withholding something from your counselor and you don't see or can't foresee you telling them in the future, that may be like, okay, one hint that you should look for a new counselor. Um, I think the other thing would be if you're not feeling challenged, I think that some counselors can be really great at being encouraging and comforting. But I also think that when you're sitting in that way, that there should be a little bit of a challenge to it, that they should be helping you move forward, not just connecting with where you are right then. And so if that if you're not seeing progress in that way, I think it may be time. I always encourage people, if they reach out to me, they're like, oh, I'm just not sure if my counselor is the right fit for me. I've been with them for a while and I'm thinking about changing, I always send them back to that counselor first and say, have a conversation with them and say, Hey, I wanted to to talk to you about what I'm getting from counseling and what maybe I'd like to see more of. Some people have the capacity to do that. Other times people think that that might be too hard, right? Like that's too hard to have that directive of a conversation and that's okay. But sometimes I've seen people have that conversation and be able to make therapy and counseling what they want it to be just by asking for what they need and saying, Hey, I really like when you do this. I really like when you have the whole session planned out with worksheets and things like that. Or I really don't like when you bring out the psychoeducation part and teach me things. I really just want somebody to listen to me. You have the power to say that in session. And a lot of counselors are going to follow that lead and try to create it for you. I think if you try that out and they're still not moving it in a direction that you want, then you should probably be making a change
1: at that point. Sarah, how much time, and again, I know there's not like an exact number for this, but like in general, how much time do you give yourself to determine whether or not you feel fully comfortable sharing a full story? Like it's probably not going to be after two sessions, but inside of how many sessions should you be able to discern if you're having traction with your therapist and you feel like it's moving in in an arc that's going to take you where you want to go?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that there's a specific number. I think it's really dependent on one, um, what things you need to uncover. If they're traumatic in nature, they're gonna take a lot longer. Like it is hard for people to go into those memories and to speak that um, some people can't do that and that that's okay. And so that that would be a different category. That takes a long time. That takes, sometimes I think it can take years to really feel like you can trust someone especially if that trauma happened in childhood. Um, but the the things like maybe the nasty thing you said to your husband or the problem you had at work and you don't want to share the counselor because you're worried about what they're going to think. Like if you can't share your mess ups with them um, and feel safe in that, that, that needs to be buffered out pretty quick. Um, I would say within the first three to four sessions, you need to be able to say, is this right for me or not?
1: Gotcha. And so I love how you talk about how it is it is incumbent on on us who are seeking help to be ready and willing to do work even when it's hard. And I think that sometimes the temptation or the perception that they have that some people have of therapy is, "Hey, I'll come in, I'll do X number of sessions, and my therapist will wave a magic wand and they'll fix all my problems, and then I can go home happy." And I hear you saying that that's not exactly how it works.
0: Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish we could do that for clients. I wish I could do that for myself. It doesn't work that way. And if it would work that way, it wouldn't be sustainable change. And I think that's really important. But I I think that it goes back to the story work. Like I think there's power in the story. And I will tell clients, I'll say, can you paint a picture for me of what you want your story to look like in six months or in a year? Okay, how do we get there? What things do you need to do? what's within your control that we can move forward in that. And I think that they they really resonate with that and say, yeah, I had one client, this is a cool, cool story, but she, she started last year and was just like, I'm tired of having the same goals every year, every new year I mm. have the same resolutions and I'm so sick of it. Um, well, then fast forward, as we rounded the corner to this last year, she's got new goals. Mm. She's got things behind her that she can look back and say, you know what, I'm not struggling with the same thing. And I've grown my muscles against anxiety where I can battle it. And I just think that's incredible. It's really cool to get to see that. And as a counselor, we get to see it a little bit more objectively because we're not in the weeds with their life every day. And so we can see that progression from, you know what, you couldn't, you couldn't even speak about this. And now you have so much power in your story as you share what happened and and how you're healing and moving forward. And so it's really cool to watch that for clients, but it is never a magic wand. Here's a few sessions and you're all better. Um, I do sometimes have clients who have a really good starting point and just need maybe a handful of sessions before they're on their way and feeling like they got the tools that they needed. But a lot of times it's a longer term sort of situation.
1: What did you say you talked about muscles that you had somebody working on to address anxiety? Unpack that for me a little bit.
0: Um, Well, I I think that sometimes we want our depression to completely go away and sometimes it can or we want our anxiety to go away completely. Um, But really what happens is our muscles get stronger at fighting that, right? So when that anxious thought comes up, we pull out our toolbox and we know how to battle it. We know how to take care of our body and calm it down. We know how to change that thought and replace it with something that's good and true and healthy. And then we are able to move from that anxious thought to a place of stability a lot quicker than we were before. That's more of what I mean by building our muscles, like that we can, we may not ever get rid of our anxiety. I would share that I have a baseline of anxiety, it's not in a clinical level, but. It's just a, a part of my being that I kind of buzz along this like higher range of anxiety. And I I what I say about it is that I think it had made my connection to Jesus a lot sweeter because I don't wake up in the morning just in this state of peace. Like I wake up in the morning and I got the anxiety going and I have to take that to the feet of Jesus and say, I am too weak to battle this on my own. I need you to walk through this with me. And I feel like it's very consistent with the thorn in the flesh with Paul, where he asked, he begged God to take it from him and God said, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I feel like that's true for me and my anxiety. And I feel like that's true for a lot of my clients that they have a dependence on God that I respect so much that maybe that somebody who doesn't have a mental health disorder doesn't understand. Because when you struggle with mental health things, it's, it is an invisible battle that is so real and so difficult. And so to know that you have Jesus walking through it with you, I think that's where I really feel like with the church and mental health and faith and all of that, where it really breaks down is if we feel like if you truly trust trust God, then it's going to cure your anxiety. And so I love sharing that about Paul because it's like, it didn't cure what he had, but he kept connecting to God and that made him stronger for it. And I feel like that's true for a lot of things in the mental health realm. I wish we I could love- take it away from clients, but we can't. So
1: sure. And I, I love that you share the story for Paul, because I think that there are more than a few people who who say or who assume or maybe unconsciously believe that if you get to a certain point in your spiritual maturity, it's a tipping point And then your anxiety is behind you and you never struggle with it anymore and i remember growing up in a pentecostal church and there was like what the the best kind of dramatic testimony is when somebody had an addiction and they had this breakthrough and they were miraculously delivered and they were never tempted to do that again like nobody got up at testimony night and said like i'm an alcoholic and it's a battle for me every single day to stay sober like those are not the stories that anybody likes because they like the stories where you know this veil was lifted and i never struggled again and i hear you saying that not only is that not the norm to be struggle free But actually it is normal to have struggles that are, that are ongoing. And the challenge is how do we navigate those struggles with increased levels of both faith and self-awareness? Am I hearing you right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is, is so good. Something that I talk with God about is that I'm always asking to graduate from my dependence on him. Like Mm. always, I'm like, God, will you please give me this, this, and this? I need this. I need that. And like, that's what I'm asking hey, can you give me everything that I need so that I, I don't have to connect with you? I'm not genuinely saying that consciously, but if I get to the root of it, that's that's what I'm praying for. And I don't want to graduate from my dependence on God. That doesn't mean that I am stuck in sin and suffering. That actually means the opposite. It just means that I can't do one day alone. Um, a story that I use a lot for people is about the woman who reached for Jesus when she was at rock bottom. She had tried everything that the world had to offer her and she couldn't find healing. And she reached for Jesus's cloak and she experienced that healing. I think the thing that I feel like in our culture that we have so many things to reach for, that it can be really easy to one, forget to reach for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then two, I also think that that was probably the first time that she reached for Jesus, but not the last like yeah. I don't know about you but like I want my faith to look like I reached for Jesus one time and then it I was perfect after that and it was great. It was radical and life-changing and wonderful and I became a new being when I gave my life to Christ. But then I have that continual reaching for him that I need him every every day. And I just try to help clients realize that that they're not failing because they still have struggle. Absolutely yeah. not. And if that's the standard then that makes life really really hard.
1: No, that's so good for me to hear you say. One of my favorite writers uh, was is a South African psychologist Susan David and she says, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear, courage is fear walking. And I think that sometimes people will say, well, you know, we should be people who value faith over fear. But when I read the scriptures, people who are walking with Jesus are living a life where faith and fear are intermingled. Like we have that one story of the father who's like begging Jesus to go to bat for his daughter. And he goes, I believe. And then in his very same breath, he goes, help me overcome my unbelief. Like, like in this glass, these two things can coexist. And I hear you saying that that's, that's natural and that's normal. And that, that can be healthy and part of, part of faith and part of, kind of therapeutic work is saying, all right, Lord, if these two things can be true at the same time, will you help me to have just the wisdom to know what my next step in my particular story is?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like how you worded that. I think that's really strong.
1: So what kind of what kind of themes are you seeing these days? You had mentioned how being in this post-COVID moment is kind of the a unique space, not just for us in our individual journeys, but kind of in our collective psyche of people who have survived a pandemic that none of us had ever experienced before. What themes are you seeing surface in your work these days?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great, a great question. I think that if I could coin it for you, I really feel like everyone is waiting for the next shoe to drop. Like that's what I feel from people like if they have, they come in and they have tension in their neck and their shoulders and they, they're just like kind of closing their fists, their bodies are alerted to what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. We do a lot of like helping people learn how to hear from their body and how it's showing them the anxiety because our bodies speak to us first before our mind even realizes what's going on. And so helping them calm down and be able to say, you know, I'm okay yeah, this world is unpredictable, but I'm all right. That's one thing that I see in people. Um, right right now, we're seeing a lot of seasonal depression. Winter scares people. It gets really dark and gray and um, just helping people find hope. Something that we started at Storyhouse, which I just love. I'm so excited about it. Uh, I was talking to one of our counselors, Laura Duffner, and she's an EMDR counselor. So that means she works with a lot of trauma and all of that. And I've just been really excited to have her on the team. And her and I were talking and I told her, I was like, I have this dream that we could give a flower to every client as they leave. I think that would be so cool to just brighten their day with like a little flower. And she was like, I love that idea. Can I just take it and run with it and so this last week was our first week doing it and we have these bright yellow roses in the office and we can hand them out one one by one as clients leave and it's just fun to like be able to spark it up a little bit and like or, yeah. I think I mean brighten it up a little bit and in our community where it is it's gray, gray and cold and it feels like spring is so far away so we're seeing a lot of seasonal depression right now
1: so I love that idea of the flower. I had a friend once who said like there are seasons in in life where sometimes you have to fight for beauty. And I I love that you're saying that
0: oh, I, I love that, that
1: that there are windows where people say like oh well I'm just going to cross my finger and hope that beauty lands in my lap. And then there are other times where it is cold or it is gray or you have had hardship and for you to be able to say it's not that beauty is lost, it's just that I don't have eyes to see it right now. So God, will you like in your grace, um, allow me to see beauty as it pops up in my peripheral vision, whether it's just the, the smile of my child or having playing music or experiencing God in nature, whatever it is for people to be able to say, okay, that's another tool that I can put in my toolbox. Like to be able to say, am I carving out space for beauty? Am I carving out like rhythms, even if it's just, you know, journaling at the end of the day to be able to say like, where, where did I see something good today? Because you're right on the, on the bad days you you can come up with a very, very long list of things that are, are falling apart. Uh, but if that's where we stay, that can be a pretty overwhelming spot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That I had to write the fight for beauty down. That's so good because it's true. Like this life is hard. Like there is so much suffering being in this field and walking with people's stories and like, it's, it's broken and it's hard and there are beautiful things too, but I do think we have to fight for it. I think that's That's incredible. I may put that on a (laughs) t-shirt.
1: What do you do as a therapist when you're feeling overwhelmed? You have this great gift, but also this challenge where not only are you navigating your anxieties, but you're making yourself available to everybody else's as well. How do you keep your head above water?
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really great, great question. I think um, I, I would say just starting off with like, I have good days and bad days with that there's times where I don't feel like I do great with it. And then times where I feel like I nail it out of the park. I'm like, yes, I did it. You know, like, this is great. I really took care of myself, but one, it's a continually staying connected to God. So I make sure that I open my Bible um, before I start seeing any clients in the day. So sometimes I'll do my devotions at home too, but like, when I physically get to the office, I'm going to pull my Bible out and make sure that that's opened before I start my day. And that helps me a lot. I am a big fan of journaling. I think that's important to be able to get my thoughts on paper. And then my big one is that I'm a big fiction reader. So I read fiction that, and it's important to me that it's not in this time period, like that. I don't know why, but I really feel like I need to get out of this current space and be able to like, let my mind rest. And so I read a lot because that helps me. And then I have really great distractions in my life who are loud and fun. and need so much of me that it doesn't matter what the office needs or what I just went through. I pulled into my garage the other day and it was a really hard clinical day. So just the things that I heard and and the work that I was doing. And I was like, I'm not going inside until I breathe this out. I give it to Jesus. And then I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to be mom and I'm going to have a good time. And I'm going to giggle with these kids and they are so cute. I know that's probably biased, but they're so cute. And so um, that's how I try to take care of myself of like praying that out and giving it to God and saying, I know you care about them more than I do. I know that you're gonna take care of them. And my responsibility now is to be present at home. And so I've grown over the years to be able to really shut my brain off to the different areas. Um, And I've also just said, it's a fallacy to believe that I'm ever gonna be done. My to-do list is never gonna end. And so if I can't rest till it's done, then I'm never gonna rest. And so I I try to get comfortable with that unfinished to-do list and that helps me a lot.
1: That's great. Is there any last words of wisdom or encouragement for, for those people who, again, might, might be new to the whole world of therapy and think that they might benefit from it, but are still a little bit overwhelmed by the, by the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would just tell them that I think you guys, the story matters. I think that you're important and you may be busy and life may be going really, really fast and for you to hit pause and take care of yourself. And have a trusted professional help you along the way could be a really, really good idea. And it can also be life changing where you can learn some skills on how to better take care of yourself, how to overcome some anxiety and things like that. And so I just think that you're important and it's worth the time to try to do that.
1: Sarah, for those people who are listening to the podcast, who live in or near Fort Wayne or have friends or family who do, how can they find out more about you and the great work that the Storyhouse team is doing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They can visit our website. Our website is storyhousecounseling.com and they can go there. And then if they want to get connected with us, we'd have a, a contact form that they can fill out and then we would reach out to them.
1: Great. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the extended Winning at Home family. Thanks for the great work that you're doing. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to chat again soon.
0: Perfect. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.